0: Welcome to the Culture Capture Spotlight Podcast. We're at uh, Iridium 77 in Chicago. Uh, I'm Joe, and I'm being joined today with Black Sam. So, well, thanks for pulling up. This has been long awaited. Um, like I just said, it's the first video interview in the series, the whole show. So thanks for joining me. Um, for the people here who don't quite know who you are, can you just kind of say like, what you are, who you are,
1: what you do. Yeah, sure. I'm Black Sam. I'm a rapper from South Florida. I currently live in Chicago. That's where I make all my music. I uh, came to Chicago for school in 2014, went to Chicago, graduated 2018, and decided I wanted to push music as my career. And uh, three years later, I'm here.
0: So let's talk about the South Florida. Chicago thing. Let's just yeah. start there. Um, you grew up in South Florida, right? So, did you move out here to go to college? Yeah. So, what was it like growing up in South Florida? And like, what are some things that really like still you hold with you today?
1: South Florida is a really cool place to be, and I I didn't really appreciate it when I was younger because I was able to do like adult things, you know, like I, uh, the only things I was really able to do was like uh, go to the movies, in school, I was in high school, any stuff, so I hang out with my homies, but that was about it. Um, what I really like about South Florida, though, is how leisurely it is, um, the weather is so nice and you can kind of do anything any time of year and compared to Chicago, which is dope in its own right it's just cold so much of the year that you can't do a lot of things comfortably when it's 10 degrees outside. But Florida, I think, has influenced my music and just kind of me as a person and in the sense that I just take my time with them and I'm just I think even stuff like my delivery, or the way that I perform my tracks is like kind of a Florida thing and, and I'm not really in a hurry to get stuff done. It's, it's very calm and collected. And if you walk around Florida, especially during the day, people are not really rushing to get places. Everybody's just kind of moving at their own pace, real leisurely. Um, and that's because the weather is so nice, you just got to enjoy it. You got to it in.
0: So what are your, this is a question I wanted to ask you, who are your top three artists out of Florida, like of all time? And then who are your top three out of Chicago?
1: Top three out of Florida all time. i Curry first, yeah. uh, Ross second, and I'll put Ski Mask at three. No, yeah. yeah, not a, you know, I appreciate the music, you know, big fan of this of the sound itself but like too too much is going on I get what you with that.
0: yeah but I get what you mean I get what you mean so what is that guy yeah. Denzel Curry is so I feel like he's so underappreciated yeah. like I didn't know I was watching a YouTube video like a week or two before we were taping now of um about Denzel Curry I didn't know he was making soundcloud music like in like 2010 2011 mm-hmm. I didn't realize he's been around
1: in the game for, for over a decade I wasn't here today yeah, okay. no, I didn't that. start getting hit to him and honestly other Florida rappers until I came to Chicago started getting more invested rap. So when I was in Florida, I listened to what everybody else listened to like on a national stage. Like, I listened to Wayne, I listened to Drake, I listened to all like the super mainstream rappers mm-hmm. and I didn't really branch out too much outside to, of like mm-hmm. tech nine guys like mm-hmm. who's like as mainstream as you can get for like an independent kind of artist, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so when you
0: when you first moved to Chicago, is that when you First, kind of thought about making
1: music, or I had been rapping since the beginning of my high school years. Yeah, I think ninth or tenth grade is when I started freestyling. Yeah, much. Um, but I didn't start taking it seriously until like after Chicago. Um, it was a hobby when I was in Florida. Even after I graduated high school, but before I went to college, I would like shoot videos on my phone, my, my Android phone post them on Facebook in this group that I made called Bars. A few of my other friends rapped, so they would post their stuff in there too. Um, But it wasn't until I got to chicago I think it was the end of my first quarter there, where there was a hip-hop kind of poetry slam at the Arts Cafe that I performed in. I was mad nervous. I didn't know I was supposed to memorize my lyrics. I had like a piece of paper in front of me. My hands were shaking because I couldn't focus on On just staying composed, but it was like the most exhilarating moment of my life like Performing a punchline and having people react to it. So that was the moment that I decided I wanted to See if I could really push it make it something more than a hobby
0: Yeah, I feel like Chicago like It really opens up people's music like it really expands your music like retention expand like all of that because there's just such a huge underground scene here. And not only that, like there's just a huge emphasis on the mainstream too. Yeah. Um, so that's really interesting. Like, Everybody's know- really
1: supportive too. Yeah. Like and I've noticed that about Chicago, especially there. Just the people around you will put you on. And I think if I hadn't been surrounded by so many supportive people either at Chicago or just in other spaces where I go to a slams, like on the north side and stuff, or in the city, or I would just link with other artists in the studio. Like everybody was always super supportive, and that definitely helped me get into a mindset of like, yeah, I can, I can
0: do this. So let's get into the U Chicago stuff. Yeah. You were, were you dead set on going to U Chicago because that's a hard school to get into. Like that's a really hard school to get into.
1: I um. I applied to college this program called QuestBridge, which is for low-income or and/or first-generation college students and in order to get a QuestBridge school to match with it, you, you have to rank your top eight out of all the schools. I don't remember where I ranked D-Chicago, but it wasn't near the top, but I had been there. Okay. I had been to visit, so I felt comfortable putting it on my list because I didn't put any schools on my list that I hadn't been to or like knowing somebody. was your visit the first time you were in Chicago? second time second time yeah i I went when i was a kid like i was five or six Mm -hmm. Um, but i came here to visit northwestern and do chicago and i think DePaul too um at the end of my junior year and ended up ranking in chicago probably fifth or sixth on my list of eight and i matched with them so i was like uh, contractually obligated to come to the
0: school and it worked out so that's dope first of all and why i wanted to talk about it because it's like with a lot of the but a, the host being in college and B, a lot of the different guests, we've had kids in high school, we've had college kids themselves. Yeah. So there's, there's this spectrum, I call it, I was telling them before we started filming earlier, where it's like, you got people who are in high school and they're at a point where it's like, I don't want to go to school. And there's quite honestly no purpose to go to school because they're at a certain level with their product and their craft. Yeah. But then there's other people who started in school, like uh, an interview that's coming out in the future the guest started making music as a sophomore in college you know so he was able to go through college without really thinking about dropping out is that what it was like for you or i'm I'm just curious to know like did you ever think about dropping out of school at any time i did
1: i was pretty close in my head to dropping out not actually putting in the paper but upstairs i was uh i think i was a third year and i in the my first quarter of my third year fall quarter I went to Brooklyn to open for Awful Records, which was one of my homies set up. Then a month later, I was back in New York to shoot a music video for one of my songs, which was sound pop at the time, if that counts. And for that time period, I just wasn't really, I didn't care about school. And I was so much more invested in music that I didn't really want to be in school. The classes I was taking, I wasn't interested in. The major I had at the time, I wasn't really interested in. And I think that quarter I withdrew from two of my classes just because I wasn't keeping up. I was so focused on getting to the show and rehearsing and all that stuff. I wasn't going to class. And yeah, in my head, I, I did want to drop out. But at the same time, the, the scholarship opportunity that was provided to me like, it was letting me go to college for free. That you know, was the difference between dropping out when you're paying 70, 80 racks to be there versus when it's just being given to you. So ultimately, even though I wanted to focus on music, I didn't feel like leaving free school was the best decision, so I stuck around, I switched my major to comparative race and ethnic studies, which allowed me to focus more on on things that really interested me. The first class I took was called slavery since emancipation, and immediately I was in a space where I was around more black students and also just learning stuff that I actually cared about learning. taking those types of classes for the remainder of my two years in college just kind of kept me focused on the end goal was just graduating, get the diploma, and then go do what you gotta do. But up until that point, yeah, I, I wasn't really feeling school. And
0: are you it's, glad now that you've completed it? Like, are you, do you feel like some type of relief that you're like, man, like I really got this, this degree from like a really great caliber school?
1: Yeah, yeah, I am glad in a general sense that I finished school because I feel like if I hadn't finished school I probably wouldn't have gone back to finish school and I think I would have been stuck on what I could have done had I finished right I didn't know that I was going to be in the position I am right now where I'm rapping full time but had this not happened and I had I not finished school then I think I would have had a much harder time finding something that I really wanted to do without college degree and it wouldn't have been impossible but overall I'm glad I finished mostly because my parents wanted me to finish and uh, they got to see me graduate everything like
0: that. So, yeah. Yeah. That's fun. and like we'll get into like some of the stuff you've done when you were in college in a second but like do you have any kind of like lighter stories from when you were in school that are more or less on a funnier tip
1: yeah um, all the like all the shows all the shows were, were really fun. Like I had my homies pull up from all over the place. Like, whether it's people who went to school there with me, who wouldn't even go to certain frats or whatever on a regular basis, but if I was performing, they'd pull up. I had homies who I would just hoop with at the gym who would pull up, who had, you know, they didn't even know East Chicago students at the time. They would just be in there trying to run with me. Um, all those shows were just such crazy energy and so different than what I would normally experience in Chicago, and they were really the only times I ever go out. yeah, that was like those were those are the most fun times I had for sure, performing and going to like the, uh, the Black Student Union parties, the uh, organization of Black Student parties. But that was that was it. I, I really didn't go to clubs, I didn't do any of that stuff unless I was performing. But yeah,
0: shit sure was fun. That's good and like. Excuse me. You did. You've talked about it before, so we'll, we'll kind of keep it brief. But you did the TED talk to college yeah. too, um, which I wanted to touch on. It's it hey, super cool. Um, how did it come about? Like, how how did that whole opportunity arise for
1: you? If I remember correctly, uh, there was a uh, the organization. I think just started putting out feelers for people who might be interested in speaking through the TEDx organization. Yeah. And I was sort of interested at first, and one of my friends, I think, told me, yeah, you should really do this, you should try it out. And I didn't really know what I wanted to talk about at first, and then eventually I realized I wanted to talk about rap, because that's something I've always been passionate about. But specifically, the understated complexity of rap music, and how a lot of people give rap, or a lot of people have a lot of preconceived notions. About rap that aren't really true, but they're based on what they hear on the radio. They're based on what's popular at the time, which isn't necessarily representative of rap as a whole. And definitely isn't representative of the intellectual aspects of rap music that are often overlooked because people are so stuck on mainstream topics like money and cars and women and stuff like that, which is very much present in rap music, but that doesn't encapsulate the entire genre. So I wanted to talk about that. There were multiple rounds of uh, application process. I had to kind of pitch myself. I had to pitch my idea. I had to do like a shortened version of the script, and eventually I got picked. And on the day of, that was like the most nervous I've ever been. Like Outside any show, anything like that, I've never been that nervous before. I didn't remember half of my script. I was just like sitting on stage at it nerve-wracking, but I think it was because it was such an important moment for me and I was able to voice how I really felt about rap, which is something I loved at the time and love even more now, but that was, yeah, that was one of the coolest experiences I had in college for sure. Yeah. Like, I, I look back at that a lot. I, just, I wish I had remembered more of my script. But yeah. Well, it's a, it, I watched it this morning,
0: and it's like, it's an incredible piece because what you're, what you're talking about in there, especially when it pertains to the music, it's very valid today still, and I think there's a lot of people that could go watch that and learn a lot more about what what this industry is about and what it really represents in a lot of ways. Um, so when did you get out? Of, what, what year did you get out of school?
1: 2018.
0: Okay. 2018. So how, how did you? When you first kind of get out of school, like what was? Were you like looking for jobs, or were you just really locked in on the music scene?
1: Um, so I wasn't locked in on music yet. I was still making music fairly consistently. I didn't have a job coming out of college, but the, basically the way I got my job was for the first three or four months of me being out of college, I would show up to the gym. I knew everybody who worked at the front desk, they would just let me in. There's like a two week or three week grace period after you graduate, at which point you can buy an alumni membership. I didn't have like 500 or whatever dollars to buy the membership, but I knew everybody who worked there, they would let me in. And like three months later, there was somebody at the front desk who I didn't know they didn't let me in because I wasn't, you know, we weren't tight like that. And she was like, Oh, you got to buy a membership. At that point, I decided, All right, I need to get a job here, so I have to buy a membership. So I was still working on music, but I uh, was definitely more focused on playing basketball and stuff like that. And I was a little bit discouraged in months like months after that because I was putting out music, I wasn't getting the results that I thought I would that I should be getting. I opened for Waka the year after that, like the the first quarter of the next school year. And I'm thinking oh you know, everything's gonna go crazy now. I like I'm gonna drop this mixtape, it's gonna go crazy. All the stuff that I was expecting to happen, but I didn't really put the work in for it. So I just got kind of discouraged music in general. And, and I just kind of fell back into focusing on my job and just pooping and lifting. And I fell off. So. And then the pandemic,
0: like when the pandemic first hit the country, of the States,
1: mm-hmm.
0: how was that time period for you as an artist? Because it's different for everyone. And I'd imagine it was incredibly challenging.
1: Yeah. That was the moment that, so I lost my job. The beginning of the pandemic, so the gym shut down. Yeah. I feel like you know everybody went through. Yeah. A lot of people went through. Before, but yeah. there was no work for me anymore because I work at a gym. I'm not working for uh, like a business or like a company where you're doing stuff online. I work in a physical space, so I couldn't work anymore, and I had to figure out what I was going to do. And my best option was really to move home and start looking for grad programs and PhD programs, or just to find a job to kind of tide me over until I could get accepted into a program. But I do not really want to do that because I knew that moving home to West Palm Beach would mean that I would not be able to make music anymore because my studio is here. It's in Chicago. I would go to my homie's crib a few blocks away every time I wanted to record. And that was when I decided that I wanted to give music one last push and just see if I could make something happen so that I wouldn't have to move home I wouldn't have to start doing stuff that I didn't really want to do in order to make money. So I decided I wanted to drop a song every other week to get things started. It started with Bleach yep. in mid-March. Yep. And then I think one or two songs in between Bleach and Bristle, which are now my two popular songs. And stuff started picking up really quickly. And then at that point it was my job to just be in the studio every single day. I was writing every day, recording almost every day. I basically lived in my engineer's crib. Like his family became my family because I was there so often. And that's like that's what I did all pandemic. Every day we would we would go to the, the garage and like lift the those Bowflex adjustable weights that he had. We would shoot around in his backyard, um, in the uh, hoop that he brought, like the basketball hoop that he brought from his uh, from one of his family's crib. And we would get in the studio. And we would just work. And I slept in the studio most of those nights. And for the first three or four months of the pandemic, I was in the studio like living there for probably 90% of those nights. Just barely went home to eat, to see my cat. You have a cat? Yeah, probably. I did have a cat oh, yeah. when I lived in our last place, but that's <laughs> she, she's good. She, oh gosh, no, she didn't pass? She, she, she didn't pass. Okay. She's living with her, <laughs> with her real home now. Okay. But um, shout out Lois. Um, yeah, I was just in the studio all day, and it was hard, but it was also really encouraging to see those results after about a month of releasing bi-weekly, and just pushed me to keep going, and right? I so just had to, like, stack over releases on top of each other. Yeah, so shout out your engineer, too. Yeah, I was chill, engineer, Caleb, one of my best friends on the planet, like, my real-life brother, like, we became brothers because I was at his crib. Every single day, see the
0: dude who pulled up on us
1: of uh, the swordfish
0: video, yes. yeah. Okay, so I've that, bro. But, um, shout that's a that's a really interesting story. And like Bleach, I mean, that's your most streamed song, right? How many streams is it at roughly right now? It's like
1: 4.9 million. Oh, last year, gonna five.
0: by the yeah, This could be it could have 5 million by the time it comes out. Yeah. This out, oh, it's gonna have five, yeah. yeah. So, congratulations, uh, thank you, pre congratulations for your surpassing five oh. million. Did you know it at the time? And I know that after what you just said, that question probably sounds like what? Of course not. But um, once it started to kind of gain a little bit, were you like, wait a minute, I might have just did something?
1: Yeah, yeah. Because about a month after it dropped, I had almost 10,000 streams, and I was really excited about that because I had never hit 10,000 streams on Spotify or anywhere. anywhere. Or on Spotify, actually, on a song. I've done it a few times on SoundCloud. Okay. Spotify had never hit 10,000 streams. So I'm, I'm hyped because I'm thinking it's gonna hit 10,000 tomorrow and I'm gonna be able to post about it, big milestone, whatever. And I wake up the next morning and I check the stats and it hit 12,000 cents. I was like, what just happened? The next day, it hit 14,000. I think by the end of that week, it was at 20,000. I have no idea what's going on. I started looking into the um, like on the Spotify for artists to show you what playlists things got on and all that stuff. And they got on Discover Weekly and up until that point i had no idea what any of that stuff meant i didn't know about algorithm playlists i didn't know about um save rates i didn't know about anything really i was just putting out music i didn't know about uploading music early i I put i uploaded bleach to distrokid like the day before it drops i didn't even know that you were supposed to put up songs weeks in advance i knew nothing so i really had no idea that bleach was going to pop but once I saw that it was moving more quickly than my other songs, I was thinking to myself, I have to figure out what happened, and I have to figure out how to replicate it for all my other songs, which didn't happen because Beach was just enjoyed more than those other songs. But when Bristol started to pop, I said, okay, I got two songs to focus on. Use the ones that I need to lock down in terms of marketing, like running ads, all that stuff, and I got to figure out how to generate revenue, not the screen revenue, but actual
0: revenue. And it's like, once bristles started to, to climb up a little bit, is that when you were, not that you weren't locked in at this point, but really, really like, okay, this is it now. There's no quitting on this. Yeah. it was
1: So Bleach was nice, but in the back of my head, I wasn't sure if it was a blueprint. You had a high save rate, like the number of people who listened, the number of people who saved you to a playlist or an album the uh, playlist or their library divided by the number of total listeners was, was pretty high compared to all my other songs. The next song I dropped, which was Needles, I dropped it two weeks after Bleach, didn't have anywhere near the same save rate, didn't have as many streams, any of that stuff. And also didn't perform as well when I ran ads on Instagram. I think Gristle came right after that one, maybe a month after that one. And when I saw Gristle moving too, I was like, okay, maybe Bleach wasn't a clue, maybe. Stuff is really happening, and I was already pretty focused at that point. But once Bristol started popping, that's when I realized that this wasn't just a one-off thing, and that I could possibly do it again with another song. So I really started pushing
0: with everything,
1: but specifically pushing for each to reach Bristol. Right. Next.
0: And then Instagram ads. I mean, you talk about that, and we're, for everyone in back, like watching this, it's 2020, right? So it's a different era with social media. Yeah. Yeah. How important was it to be using so like social media to promote your music?
1: That, I mean, honestly, that was more important. I would say that was more important than the streams because I was able, so once I figured out how to run ads, which took months, by the way, months, hundreds of dollars, not wasted because I still see them as going toward me learning how to run ads, right? But, Once I learned how to run ads, I started getting more followers. I started getting people DMing me about my music, a lot of compliments, stuff like that, but also people saying, how much for a feature? At the time, I was probably charging like $50, $100 for a feature. Nothing crazy at all. But through running ads, I went from like 2,000 followers to 10 or 12,000 followers in six-ish months. And also, my numbers were going up because of Bleach on on Spotify. Bleach, Gristle were pumping my numbers up. Monthly listeners, all that stuff. So I was able to justify raising my feature rate to the people who were asking me through DM how much I would charge for features. So I would take that money and put it back into Instagram ads, run more ads, get more followers, charge more for features as a result of having more followers and more monthly listeners, and I just had that on a cycle. So now I'm at about fourteen, I think fourteen point five thousand on Instagram. Um, and that's largely because, over because I was running ads on Bleach and Gristle concurrently, and then more recently Swordfish. But back when I was running these ads, they were super cost efficient. Twenty, end of 2019 and 2020, like, whatever's happening with Instagram ads now, Instagram is clearly on its way out. Yeah. TikTok is that new thing. Yeah. But the way that the ads run now is different. It's nowhere near as cost efficient. But I feel like I got in at the like the perfect time, yeah. right before things really started to fizzle out. So I was able to capitalize upon the Instagram ad algorithm and make enough money off of features to fund more streams to, uh, to fund more ads and then on repeat. So that was kind of it, over and over.
0: And then how do you see yourself? Like, do you see yourself moving into a TikTok space now that you have, like, a fan base and yeah. you really have people dedicating time to you and what you put out on Twitter? Because you're super active on Twitter, too, yeah. for those who don't know. We're going to get into that later. Um, but, would you, like, do you see yourself wanting to move on to TikTok in, in at all? Or, like, how do you really view that way into this stuff?
1: Uh, it's, it's not really a matter of want, to be honest. It's, like, a matter of, like, what's the smart business decision? Yeah to make and the answer is like, yeah. I mean, going to, I just have to figure out how I'm gonna do it in a way that's authentic to me because I'm not gonna be like doing dance routines. That's yeah, not that's me. not you. Know, like, that's not yeah my style. I wanna do something that's true to my music style, but also isn't gonna be like the same exact content that I'll put on Instagram because as multiple people who are much more knowledgeable about how TikTok and the algorithm works, explain to me, people aren't looking for that super polished kind of content that you would put on Instagram. And they're also not looking for the kind of uh, prestige that's attached to Instagram, where you post once a week, or you post once every two weeks to keep things mysterious or vague or whatever. On like TikTok, you post four times a day, nobody cares. And you're posting like rough videos of you that you're recording with your front facing camera, you like pointing stuff, doing all these things. Like, I just got to get used to the switch because I've been doing Instagram for so long, but once I figure out how I want to attack it, then I'm going to make that pivot and really lean into it and see if I can generate some of the same success that I had with Instagram in its prime as I can with TikTok and Instagram, so waiting on it.
0: that's cool you got the right idea because I think like with TikTok it's not just a platform where people have to dance yeah and I think that's the thing people are dancing to music they're not just dancing right so eventually it's like you can if you make a record that's really on a dance vibe it's really easy to get that out there to like other influencers that's one way you can grow it like you can I think with other artists like just artists in general don't realize you can use TikTok without even being on the platform yeah. Um, like my example for that point, like Baby Santana, right? Mm-hmm. He wasn't like putting videos of himself on TikTok with uh, his big anti-social song blew up this past summer. Other people were just using it, whether yeah. it was over memes or dances or like, like you, know, you said, like kind of your grungy, like back camera, phone video, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Um And just because it's like the song spoke for itself, it, it, it blew up and did its thing. And I think that's a point that like a lot of artists got to grasp, you know what I mean? And less advice it's just like, you can use that tool. It's, it's meant to be used for music, you know? And that's why it's like for, I think it's almost better uh, once you figure out how you want to put yourself out there the right way, that's like the most authentic to you. It's almost better for artists because it's like, bro, they're supporting sound. Like, that's what they want. Like Instagram, when you were doing your thing, it wasn't as sound based. It was more content based on like how raw this looks how hard is it? You know what I mean? Like, what's the real engagement? Uh, okay, let's get into uh, your project that's out now. Um, 50% gratuity. Fire, name. Uh, I gotta ask you how you came up with that. That's the first
1: question. I, I went to this spot with my homie Terrell. Sorry Terrell. Momotaro. you heard of that? It's in Fulton Market. It's a Japanese place.
0: I don't know if I have. I'm pretty familiar with Fulton, but I don't
1: think I have spot, like best sushi I've ever had, completely, in my head, like changed, like rewired how I think about sushi, like uh, the only sushi up until that point that I'd ever had was that like all you can eat buffets and stuff, where you're kind of dry soy sauce and spicy mayo, and I just thought that's what sushi was supposed to be like, but then I had this sushi, just straight up, and it was unbelievable, I ordered way too much food, spent a hell of money, much more than I ate anticipated buying, but it was like one of the best food experiences I've ever had, and and tipped the waiter 50%. And I could see, like, so the way we were sitting in front of the kitchen, and then in the corner is where, like, the waiters would take the the bills and, like, enter everything into the system. And as we are about to leave, like, I could see him pick up the tab and like, look at it, like the look on his face when he saw the 50% was like, it good. Just felt good, you
0: know? Yeah. No, that's, a, Thank you to do that for somebody, <laughs> first of all. No, it's uh, cool,
1: like, you know, like waiters, food service, a lot of people don't get tipped a lot, oh, especially yeah. now. Yeah, I know. Um, I, I've been there, yeah. sort of. I work at Subway, so it doesn't really count. But um, yeah, it's more like, Having the the means to do it is something that has pushed me to just be at more places, like eating at more places, Um, but it's also just a testament to like the work that I put in music-wise to get to this point. So I wanted the EP to kind of reflect that, um, like the idea of elevation of everything, elevation of taste, elevation of palate, elevation of music skills, but also just elevation of like what that means in terms of like the
0: food, man. the music—that's awesome. awesome. And what? So you've been dropping a bunch of singles, couple videos um, leading up to this. So what is one like overall message or theme that you would really think and hope that you're like the listeners of the project are going to take away from?
1: Um. I would say refinement, just there's not necessarily a message that I'm putting forth through each song. But what I am trying to prove is that what I'm doing now is more polished, it's more refined, it's more self-aware, it's more thematically focused than anything else that i put out So I would describe this as not a sequel to Carpaccio, which I put out end of December 2020, or uh, December 2020, but in evolution from that, to where everything is just elevated, everything is better. I've improved in every aspect of rapping, but I've also had more experiences in terms of food and in terms of everything, to where I can make better, fuller, richer music because of the experiences I've had since then. So, I think just improvement, I guess, would be, would be the... The overarching things I've gotten better at what I do and how I'm living than I was a year and a half
0: ago. Right. And when you were at the Japanese spot, is that kind of when you landed on like, all right, I'm going to make this EP, or is it was it something you had been thinking yeah. about before
1: then? Uh, so at that point, uh, I think all the tracks were recorded. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure everything was recorded then, or at least like written and, and ready to go. I didn't have thoughts of an EP until I linked with the producer, Sebastian, when he came from the Netherlands, where he lives, to Chicago for a few weeks to just work in the studio. He uh, works at Southgate. So he invited me to come over, and after two sessions, basically, we, we had like four tracks done, three tracks done and a bunch more beats for me to go through to figure out which ones I want to, to And he's uh, the producer of Texture by so we came into contact, I think, end of 2020, to make that record. Yeah. Uh, his manager reached out to me, and we connected to that. But yeah, I didn't even have a plan to make the EP, but once we got in the studio together and he started showing the beats, I was like, these beats all sound so good. They, they sound really good, but they also sound like they fit too. So, got the studio, wrote one, or uh, recorded. Got in the studio, wrote, uh, wrote another one, recorded another one. That was two already. So I'm thinking, yeah, let's, let's put a property together. He was thinking the same thing. So, the, the title was the last piece to fall into place. And I wanted it to be something organic. I didn't want to think too hard about it. Yeah. And it wasn't even until a few days after we went to Momentara that I was be I the name Yeah, well,
0: just 50% gratuity like that's a ring to it yeah. you know what I'm saying like you're saying it's not forced it's very like authentic and F-P-G I think that's just source. a really yeah right mm-hmm. like there's abbreviations like I'd seen like your Twitter man is mm-hmm. the abbreviated version of it at uh, the time I'm recording it. and it's like it's super cool to see that like you were able to come up with that super authentically like naturally like that's what I think is so cool about yeah. creatives in general it's like when the creativity happens, like, you're quite literally just sitting on your ass, you know? And you're, yeah. and you're not, like, trying too hard, but, like, that's sometimes when the best ideas come about. Yeah. And, um, that's super cool that you, that's kind of how the name comes about from it. So your recording process, whether you're at the home studio, whether you're at, like, a soundscape or somewhere else, what is that like for you? I mean, you were just saying that you, you write, um, do you write all, do you write all your, your music? music? I write everything. Um, how did, did you, do you like writing more versus freestyling a song? Or like, why do, you, why do you do it
1: the way you do it? I'm just not as good at freestyling. Like, it's not something I practice anymore. Um, I have always been a better writer. And when I write, I feel like I am able to come up with sharper stuff. I can freestyle, like I could freestyle on a track, but it wouldn't have the same quality as if I write. So I've just always been a better writer. And there have been some stretches where I've been good at freestyling. I could do it for a few minutes because I would just do it all the time and then I'd get out of practice and just kind of like working out. Where if you don't do it, you get back in the gym, you're not be able to do as high weight, you're not to do, be able to do as many reps. So um, right now, I don't really freestyle so much. So everything's the recording process is pretty streamlined. Um, chill showed me how to record myself, so I pop in whenever. Um, as I'm writing. I practice this song multiple times. Basically every every four bars I write, I practice Is this flow? Cool. Onto the next. Four, is this flow? Is this eight flow together? Cool. Onto the next. Get a 16 done or an eight or whatever it is. Get onto the hook if I haven't written for it. Run through the hook a few times. Finish the whole song, whether it's like eight hooks, 16, 16 hook, 16, 32, whatever the song is wrap the whole thing through, there's this flow, Cool. get in the studio. I've already wrapped it 50 times. Right? Like I'm not popping in the studio to start practicing, I want to practice beforehand. I got into that habit because when I first started recording, back when I was in college, and I recorded my first mixtape, I didn't have any bread, but I had to get into a studio to record. So I needed to make sure that I knew all 10 of those songs, like the back of my hand, before I even stepped in, so I wouldn't be spending extra hours, right? So. Now I do the same thing where I just really know how everything flows together and I'm putting little notes in different spots where I need to take a breath and where I need to do X, Y, Z. So I get into the studio and I just slide right through. Yeah, that's hard.
0: I think, again, in especially, there's just not enough emphasis on music writing. If like You go to all these big studios, they got no writers. You know what I mean, it's just yeah. engineers. And it's, it's hard to hear, it's refreshing too, to hear that like you do write all your music. That's super cool. I want to transition now to what you do when you're not making music. Um, obviously, it takes up a lot of your time. Yeah. But, um, so, we were talking a little bit off camera before. You just kind of got back into a consistent routine at the gym. Uh, you be hooping. You're lefty. Of uh, course. How are you left? you right left hand? Yeah. Okay, so you're all left hand. You're, you're grabbing a fork with the left. Okay. Um, I'm a righty. What position? Like, who are you? Gar- like, we're running the game of fives, full court. I'm a one. You're the one? Yeah. Okay. So you're not playing like a three. You're not playing like, because I would picture you as a three. You're kind of a taller guy.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've been in one for as long as I've been playing. Okay. I, um, I wasn't even, I wasn't good at shooting when I was younger. So kind of, and I also wasn't taller than everybody else. So I was naturally the one. I was like okay. a really good passer. I could, I, I could turn the ball over I dribble. I wasn't like crazy with the handles. was very, very standard dribble package. Are you um, quick? Yeah, yeah I would yeah. say I'm like, because I'm not like super frontline speed fast anymore, but in terms of like switching gears and stuff, I can do that. Yeah.
0: So. That's fine. And like, what what do you enjoy the most about playing pickup basketball? Uh,
1: I think a slashing and just finding people cuts, kind of, or just finding people open. Yeah. Putting the ball in the pocket, back cuts, kind of getting people open off, you know. It's like getting people position to sport That's like that's the most satisfying. Thing. Like getting to the basket on the one on one, or like you beat a double or whatever, you get a lay. It's cool, but like running a slip play off of a check line, like you know, going to to, to that's like the most. Satisfying thing. Yeah, and I can tell right there you the know, basketball. And
0: like for people who listen who don't know me, I'm used to do sports a lot. <laughs> I mean, basketball is what I was supposed to do before I did music. So. I Always love it when I get a guest who is enthralled with basketball. Because mm-hmm. I, on your Twitter, you be talking about the NBA all the time. Yeah. Um, who, do you have a team, or are you are you more or less like I have favorite players?
1: I do have favorite players, um, and I have my favorite teams to watch. So I just like watching good basketball. Yeah. Um, when Vince Carter was in the league, he was my favorite player. Still is my favorite player. So I was from the team. to the Nets. I was a Nets fan. He got traded to. You know, went to Toronto, from to Toronto to New Jersey, New Jersey to <coughs>
0: Dallas, I want to say. I think so. Yeah, I think so. He's been on so many
1: teams. Yeah. Man. Or maybe Orlando
0: first. He was on Orlando? He was on Orlando.
1: He was oh. on Dallas. He was on Phoenix. There's yeah. was on a bunch of teams. But I was, you know, I was a Vince Carter disciple. And once I started watching more basketball, I just became, like, I actually became obsessed with basketball. So at this point, big fan of the Heat, home team Heat. Yeah. Um, but they're not my favorite team. They're my favorites to win it, but I, I enjoy watching a lot What's of What's your teams. favorite team? Um, I don't think I have one right now. Okay. Yeah, I haven't had one for like, probably since yeah. Vince Carter was in the league. Yeah. So who are your favorite players? LeBron um, is my favorite of all time. Wow. Okay. We can have a LeBron debate. Or I guess uh, who I think is the best of all time. Vince is my favorite. Vince, Dirk, and Jason Kader are like my top three. Okay. For just favorite, favorite players. players. Yeah, yeah. Um, but right now, I like watching the Heat. I like watching the Bulls. I like watching the Hornets. Yeah. Uh, like I liked watching the Lakers. When uh, <laughs> they were looking a little bit more <laughs> like a team. Yeah. But I also still enjoy watching LeBron seeing him doing what he what he's doing. Yeah. LeBron's it's not like, better than Jordan, though. I can't see. It's, it's, it, this isn't really an argument we can have because you're the Chicago guy. the a Boston guy. You're a Boston guy. Yeah.
0: So I'm I'm fully telling you, like, <laughs> it's not even that I hate LeBron. I actually respect LeBron. Like, my best friends back home, though, no, they mm-hmm. hate LeBron.
1: Like, oh, yeah. They would, they that would makes throw sense.
0: water in his face if they could. Like, they don't like LeBron. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, it's just based off we've had a rivalry in Ten years now, you know what I mean? So there's yeah. there's some real there's some real hatred. There should be hatred. Yeah, and that's 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 sports, right? And I think um what I look at LeBron though, to Jordan it's just like, man, I just think Jordan's the better player. I don't know. And I think LeBron, I mean, he's second I mean this is just like all time, Jordan LeBron. I just you can't not have LeBron in the top three and he's certainly not three. So um I know I get why people put him one. I think if he gets another title or two, then we're having this conversation. Like, all right, he's played on this many teams with about 200 players with his, am- his damn son, potentially, in a yeah. couple years. Um, yeah, I think his narrative and his story still isn't technically done. So yeah. it's going to be really, really close, though. You know what I mean? It, yeah. It's going to be really, really close. Like, when you try to, like, once LeBron does retire mm. to, <laughs> yeah, like,
1: determine who's better than who. Um, say One thing I think about is that uh, I think LeBron, I think Mike benefited from not playing basketball during the social media age. Yes. And I think LeBron has, I don't even know what the opposite term is, or has been hindered by playing basketball in the social media age. Because I didn't watch Michael Jordan play. I, I, was, I was not alive for four or five of those championships. So, I like I see highlights, right? But that's all I see. I really only see the good, and I think most people our age only see the good. With LeBron, you can see everything, right? Like you see the bad plays he makes, you see the low effort stuff, you see the flopping, you see all these different things. But we can judge him more harshly because we see all that stuff. Jordan is like the last dance was was like the Jordan propaganda machine gone wild, which is, which is cool, right? Like, that's, that's what his documentary should be. But we don't get to see the errors. We don't get to see the mistakes. We don't get to see, if you, I don't even know if we shot balls because it's not documented. You know, if it is documented, we don't see it. So,
0: I get what you mean. Like, there's less montages of, like, yeah. Jordan fails than LeBron yeah. fails.
1: I get I, what you're saying. We see that every night now, you yeah. know? I and mean, it doesn't really matter that he's 37 or 27 or whatever, but we just see more of those failures to be able to compare. Oh man, Michael in six and zero. Mike did this. Mike did that. I mean, you're just not seeing what Michael did in the opposite way, right? So it's. I think it's easier to judge LeBron than it is Jordan, at least for me, because I didn't see Jordan play. Yeah. But that's just a small. Side. I
0: got you. I got you. And then one more basketball question. Yeah. Who are the top <clears throat> players in the NBA that are under 25 besides Jason? Taylor? Uh, Lamelo. Rajon. Right. Jante Murray, is he under 20? Man, I think he's he's that's a, for like three years. That's a sneaky one if he is. I want to say he's like, I would feel like he'd be 26, 25, like right at right. that bubble. I don't like Jalen Brown. I was going to say, like besides yeah. Jason him and Jalen Brown, but I don't know like if Jalen Brown. in
1: Jante Murray's cold.
0: Yeah, he's really good. Uh,
1: what do you think? Uh, Jalen Green is looking good. Yeah, I'm using I think he's, he's out there. Missing um, one big one. Luca. Oh, he is. Yeah, he's young. Yeah, he's Lucas, young. Lucas, younger than both.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's, he's different. It's crazy. It's crazy, man. Like Luke is a different breed. Like yeah. I, it's hard not to watch him play and just be like, how? How did he go five? I, I know Aiden's good. It's no just to Trey. It's no just yeah. to Aiden. He Aiden should be in that list too. But it's just like, yeah. no, man. Like Luke is a different breed of like basketball player. I
1: think there will always exist, like, the foreign player bias. Yes. Do you see it with how commentators talk about Giannis? Right? And how it's, they kind of use his 100%, like, people would never talk about Westbrook and like, the way that he played, he leaves it all on the court, you know, never takes a playoff, off all that stuff. It was never a bad thing, but then when Giannis does it, it's kind of something that a lot of these commentators ridicule It's like, oh, look at Giannis, he's a try hard, it's like a very clear line that's being drawn between like the American-born players, foreign-born players, and it just the foreign-born players don't get that same type of respect in a general sense. Like Luca does, right? But it, when he was coming out of college or when he was coming out of uh, Real Madrid, right? Yeah, reality uh He didn't get that same type of love. But it's also, I think, more difficult for. Teams franchises to predict how good a player is going to be coming from Europe to the NBA, and it just turns out that he was not only as good as advertised, but better And a lot of players like Andre Bargnani and Darko Milicic. Yeah, yeah, yeah with them. so right. Even uh, who's the one from Phoenix,
0: bro? Dragon Bender, that was yeah. that was a good one. That's a classic yeah. one I feel like you can use. It's like more modern day. Um, we gotta talk about the footwear. You got the Balenciagas with the the Vetamin socks. Yes. So it's a recurring question. Um, I ask every single guest that's been on the show this question. What are your top three sneaker models? Not
1: colorways, just models. Uh, Air Max 98, Seichi sandals, and I'll be these. The Triple S's? Yeah.
0: See so the second or third, I can't remember, second or third that's done the triple essence. Like what were the scents?
1: Uh, the Seichi, which is not like a super big brand. I just saw it on my Instagram one day. They were one of those ads. That, you know, yeah, on was just and I was like, these look kind of hard. you see if this is a scam. It wasn't a scam. Copped them. Most comfy sandals I've ever had. You know? So okay. I, I got those in rotation. I'm actually going to buy like two or three more pairs for this coming summer but i like these a lot i like the colorways that they have i've been looking to add to the roster a little bit i'm going to get like the dark kind of gold yellow color and the red pair isn't like the red that i'm looking for so i'm probably gonna skip those but they got a maybe navy, navy set that i think will look tough but yeah they're warm enough for the winter you know they're fine to wear in the summer they're a little heavy but that just means my, my vertical it's going to be we're up, wearing, yeah. yeah? Yeah, I take these off, I switch to my hoop shoes, and I'm jumping out of the gym. Do so you wear Jordans at all? Or no? I don't. I've only had one pair. Um, and I wore them to hoop. And they were beaters World when I got them. World they were the Citrus 7s. And I wore them into the ground for like yeah. three straight months, and then I got tendonitis and both my yeah. knees, because they were, were basically socks. Um, but, yeah. 7s are Well, 7s are brutal.
0: no Jordan 7s, but it's like that's not a like if I'm gonna hoop in a Jordan, I'm not gonna put on a 7. I, you ever hoop in 8s? That's that's probably their best okay. retro ones are underrated because they're mm-hmm. super light, yeah. Um, so you can just fly around, like it feels like you're wearing down near like socks. Um, twos are really good, okay. Um, threes are bricks, it's like playing yeah. a those it's okay. just not gonna do anything for you. Fours, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but like. I don't know. See,
1: I've definitely seen in Yeah, for
0: a lot of people hoop before us, but like I, it's not really the best for hooping. Like an eight is really good for hooping. A 10 is really good for hooping. Even a nine, you can mess around with the nines. Like the cherry nines are dropping this year. Those would, those would break out, a couple of on your gym, bro. <laughs>
1: what are you hooping? For? I, I hoop in, what do I have? I got LeBron tents, okay. I found those, which are like high enough. Yeah, like I like the higher shoes, but I did get a few low tops when I recently got the 16 lows, LeBron 16 lows, yeah. which are nice and tight to the foot. Um, that's, I mean, that's all I got right now. Yeah. Is I flipped those two around. No, I played LeBron's stuff.
0: LeBron's, mm-hmm. LeBron's stuff, it's crazy because Nike basketball went from being like, shit you see on these shelves, yeah. going for as, as much yeah. as literally anything that's hip right now in sneakers, to like an afterthought. And what's so... Raw A eh, is the stuff that was like idolized in that brief moment in time. It's still so raw today. Yeah. And I think now it's just so much more based on performance. So you got like LeBron stuff, bro. Like he's a truck. So his he's shoes big, are like... like yeah, that's a shoes. Big ass early shoes. Big guy. Them. You know, so mm-hmm. I've played in LeBron's. I had like the 15s. That was one of the best like modern basketball shoes I've ever played in. because They're so it's comfortable yeah the, the ones with the strap they kind of they go like around the ankle kind of yeah. like that to be honest um but they're they're
1: so comfortable
0: um easily one of my favorite like modern day shoes yeah I,
1: I i sprained my ankle for the first time like my fourth year in college mm-hmm. and i almost exclusively wore lebron's up until that time not even because i'm a lebron fan just because the shoes are so sturdy and like and thick and high that i just, I just rarely have ankle issues when i wear those shoes. The lows are different because they're lows. And that's when I've had my recent sprained ankles and stuff. But whenever I have issues, I switch back to the witness tens and I'm fine. Now like, I can roll my stuff and it will just stay in place. I not nice. have any issues. So. Nice.
0: So what do you do when you're not moving, you're not in the gym, uh, when you're not enjoying good, good food? What are your, well, here's a good one. What are your top three
1: food places in the city? Ooh, Hot Cigar House. Um, it's on 31st and Hostel. And two, it's probably, probably Momotaro, that would be in there now, yeah. because that sushi just changed my life. Changed your life, yeah. And number three, there's this place called uh, El Mesquite, Laqueria El Mesquite. What Park, I think. I forget, I forget which neighborhood, but like best burrito I've ever had. the best burritos I've ever had. So, that's like... I got that's a soft three. I got like a, a hard six or seven, but that, that three right there. four is yours. What else? What else? Um Kibarito Sin Mas. That's a big one. I really like Morcia, so that's like my favorite go for that. Four. What else I Um I have like oh, Cheesecake Factory, of course. I don't know. I think that rounds up to five. Yeah, but that's just uh, that's one solid or five.
0: So. Yeah, that's a solid five. Like that's a lot of different types of procedures Yeah, you know what I'm gotta, gotta
1: keep it. Uh, gotta keep it switched up. Gotta have that. Kind of have your food diverse. Yeah.
0: Um, but what I was asking you before, what do you what do you do when you're not enjoying like good play or uh, hitting the gym? What do you what do you kind of spend your time doing?
1: Um, I've been watching a lot more TV now that I have What's a fun? TV, like for the first time. Oh yeah, this apartment that I currently live in is the first time I've ever had it. TV? Damn. So Netflix, all that stuff. Yeah. Going through all the shows. uh, I'm trying to get into leisure reading. Again, it's been a while since I've read for fun, but I'm you know really trying to focus more on doing that and just kind of, for fun, but also for expanding my knowledge. Okay, just order two books. One is called uh, Medical Apartheid, and the other one is called Viking Economics. The first one is about I believe it's about the American healthcare system and how the discrepancies that occur within it based on racial disparities, and the Viking economics book is about the success or the efficacy of the socialist systems in place in the Nordic countries, and like how it works, why it works, that type of stuff. So those are on the way, and I'm going to try to start with those. I tried to start a few months ago with a very dense book called The Anti-Slavery Debate. It was just too much information. I got to like 30 pages and just gave up because I couldn't, I couldn't hack it anymore. But reading is just something I want to get back into, so I'm not just spending all my free time watching TV and stuff, even like actually learning things. yeah. So, and what, what have you dabbled with on Netflix? Currently watching uh, Favorite show, my favorite show of all time. I think you should leave. Incredible, um, yeah, you know.
0: People see people, people I mean, in the back know yeah. what's up with that one. I'm, I'm personally not hit, but I'm a huge. It's a
1: sketch comedy show. Okay. Um, just absurdly funny, like laugh out loud. So. Okay. Um, recently, what else have I watched? Uh, man, the last OG. Yeah, Nicole I've heard. Of with that. Tracy Morgan. Yeah. I've you know, caught up with that. Also, well, i do watch Good Girls on that. Netflix. That's like the best Netflix show I've ever seen. Like in terms of like funny, funniest show. I think you should leave Good Girls. Like the
0: yeah, show. Yeah. So, okay. Well, type three. That's hard. Yeah, that's hard. you gave you just gave me three new ones. I've it's seen of those. So, um, I don't have any more questions for you. If they don't know already where to follow you, just kind of say where people should follow you on social
1: medias and where they can find your music. Instagram, Black Sam, with V's instead of A's, for trademark purposes. Twitter, same thing, but with the nine five four end, Black Sam 954. YouTube, Black Sam, Spotify, Apple Music, all that, Black Sam. Uh, that's about it.
0: Thank you for joining me here today. This was great, it was super fun. Uh, That's gonna do it for this episode of the Culture Capture Spotlight Podcast. Give a quick thanks to Iridium in the comments for hosting us and we'll be back with you guys soon with another episode.